This week on the podcast, we are talking about risk and how your organization should be dealing with it. So one could say it would be risky not to listen to this one. This is Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. I know, I know risk is not a fun topic and probably creates anxiety because in the back of your mind, you're thinking, obviously there are risks. Obviously that's something I should do, but who has time? We're talking with Ted Village, the CEO and founder of Risk Alternatives and, and their risk management company that, that works with nonprofits and startups and, and helps sort of, uh, I guess, defang, demystify and make make that process more accessible because it's important. And it's important not only because it's, you know, good to know the asteroid headed your way, but more importantly, he talks about opportunities that may come as a result of identifying processes that are broken, that may be fixed, and ways to strengthen the organization. So uh, we have some fun on this interview, and I'm, uh, I'm positive you're going to take something away from it uh, other than gray hairs, hopefully. I'm here with Ted Billich, the CEO of Risk Alternatives. Ted, thanks for joining us, man. Oh, thanks for having me. So the the obvious question as we start, uh, who are you and what risks are there alternatives to? <laughs> Great way to start. I am the CEO and founder of an organization called Risk Alternatives, which is located in the D.C. metro, but works with uh, customers around the nation. We help nonprofits and startups improve themselves by using risk management and process improvement tools. So we try to help organizations be aware of the threats and opportunities they face and then deal with them one at a time as a routine part of business. Okay. So are we talking about like asteroids? Like you're like, okay, where's your asteroid insurance? Where's your <laughs> – Well, you know, it depends. Because if you were a not-for-profit, not-for-profit satellite manufacturer, then yes, you would be talking about asteroids as one of your operational risks. But when we go through the process in training a nonprofit, we tend to look at a whole bunch of different areas. In fact, we identify about 11 different areas. They span everything from operations to talent management to IT to financial to compliance to – um, you know, reputation management and so on and so forth. And depending on that inventory that you can take, then you decide what your organization needs to focus on, you know, most right now. Gotcha. So going back before risk alternatives, like who creates a company around risk? It's like the ugly word of like, no one wants to talk about all the, all the things that can go bad. Um, can you, can you give us yeah. a lead up? I sure can. The the 30 seconds would be I came out of law school in 1990 um, as basically a walking junk bond, you know, a whole lot of debt and a potential income stream. I went to a big international law firm uh, where I thought I would be there for a short while. And 20 years later, I realized that perhaps I should go and do something else along with what I've been doing. I was asked to go teach at Georgetown Law School, and so I went to teach for a couple of years, and 
on the back end of that, what I was trying to do, George, was to marry the, the coolest things that I did in my law practice, which involved helping organizations identify threats and opportunities with what I know about the way you learn things. And what I came up with was this notion of, well, why don't you help organizations avoid cracking the eggs in the first place and finding more chickens rather than fighting about who broke the egg or who, who killed the chicken? So that's how I came up with it. I gotcha. So basically, uh, chicken farmer meets lawyer meets nonprofit sector. Uh, the story makes sense to me. Precisely. Okay. Uh, help me understand because we love – on the show, our metrics and our KPIs, like, gosh, I, like what column, what checkbox is really being measured when I talk about, you know, the, the sort of threat down of, of my yeah. organization? Well, the, from, from the nonprofit's perspective, when you're talking about risk management, there are standards out there that, that are, are telling nonprofit organizations that they, they ought to have a risk management program. Unfortunately, there's not that much guidance, George, about what that risk management program should be. And so what we try to do is we help uh, our customers learn that really risk management comes down to three things. You want to inventory your risks. You want to prioritize them and use what's known as a, a risk register, sort of a prioritized punch list of items that that, that are your highest uh your highest value items, and then institutionalize sort of a risk cycle, going back over this over and over again periodically as a routine part of your management process. And in this sort of chicken little process, are we putting anything out there in terms of the not only risk but response that potentially we have planned uh, or categorized? Absolutely. When I talk about a risk cycle, I talk about a process that involves not only identifying and then prioritizing, but as a third step in that cycle, responding to the risks by a variety of things. You know, you can, you can write policies and procedures to avoid certain risks altogether or to punish those who actually commit those sorts of those problems. You could, uh, shift that risk to a third party. There are lots of things you could do to respond. And then that fourth part of the cycle would be assess and improve. See how it did. See what you can do better the next time and then go through the process again. Identify, prioritize, respond, assess and improve, you know, rinse and reuse. Oh man, Ted, I'm like imagining like the best, uh, Gantt chart ever for this. Yes. I bet, I bet you have some killer Gantt charts. Oh, you know, you you know, you you love those sorts of things when you can find them. <laughs> this is the red area. This is exactly. the yellow area, and then here's the no, no, it's all yellow. Well, and and as you as you pointed out at the beginning, so many people think of risk management as a scary concept. That the more you can do to humanize the concept, and and first of all, emphasize to a nonprofit audience, we're not just talking about threats. We're talking about opportunities, and your risk management process should be dealing with both. The better off you're going to be, the more happy customers you're going to have. Yeah, I don't actually understand that though. I thought we're talking about risks and you know the the hit by a bus scenarios, the cash flow crunch scenarios, the the big scandal that you know rolls out. Why would there be an opportunity in my risk assessment? 
Well, in in the first place, you know, every one of those downsides has the potential for some upside. But let's set that aside because that's sort of the, you know, the pan gloss view of, of the world. I'm talking about as part of your normal assessment of what is going on in the different functions of your organization, that your risk management process should be identifying not only downside risks, but also upside risks, not only threats but also opportunities. Because if you do that, first of all, you unlock a lot of value. And secondly, if you if you don't pay attention to opportunities and only think of risk in terms of negatives, well, you're going to end up with a stunted organization because you're not realizing that risk can be positive as well as negative. All right, so I'm going to play this out a little bit further because right now at Whole Whale, we actually have a process we call iceberg spotting, which is, as you imagine it, sitting on the Titanic being like, what are all the things that can sink our ship? Uh, totally. At no point are we is someone being like, well, guess what? We could make some awesome crushed ice and serve up gimlets uh, should we run into that iceberg. <laughs> what is the process where you like flip it around and like it, I feel like there's just – infinity ways where you're like, well, Bill Gates could be listening to this podcast and suddenly say, hey, Ted, here's a billion dollars. Do I really want to have a plan for that? How do I manage that that other side that we'll call buried treasure? Like what if uh, right. what if it rains right. on us? Well, what I do when I'm training someone to to begin identifying threats and opportunities is is they take an inventory and in each one of these functions, George, what they will do is they'll look for the three things that keep them up at night about, let's say, their financial function. But then I also ask them to identify the one thing they could do in the next three to four months that would materially improve the financial function within their nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So in addition to looking for icebergs, you're also looking for, you know, whatever the metaphor would be, the floating pirate treasure out there. Something Ooh, that could be done that would, yeah, isn't that a great <laughs> idea? And, and if you can, if you can do that, why not? If you're looking across the horizon and you're focusing on the icebergs, why aren't you also going to identify the potential opportunities out there for improvement? That's why I always say that, that we don't deal with just risk management because hand in glove with risk management is process improvement. Something is suboptimal and you make it better. Yeah, that makes, uh, that makes a lot more sense uh, as, you, as you look at it. Uh, I'm curious, uh, any real-life examples of, hey, we did this you know, risk assessment and process and planning for an organization, and then guess what? They were totally ready for that, you know, whatever moment was. Well, I always say, George, that, that risk management is not a matter of using a crystal ball. It's not it's not looking for the icebergs so as to necessarily find every iceberg because you can't do that perfectly. What risk management is about is identifying things that could go wrong, scenarios that could happen so that you can make your organization better now in preparation for that. Now, having said that, it has been, you know, my, my standard situation that when I go into uh, a risk engagement with a nonprofit, during that process of looking for threats and opportunities, we'll discover some things that senior management didn't know was going on. Either 
they didn't know what was going on, and if they continued to do that, it would be bad for the organization, very bad for the organization, or they didn't know what was going on, and they realized that if they just did it a little bit more, they would be able to either open up a new avenue of revenue or open up some possibility of serving their ultimate end users better. And, and that's one of the key insights of, of the risk inventory process is that even in a small nonprofit, there will be disconnects in information that get uncovered during that critical process of inventorying risks. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious again, I guess about specificity maybe. Uh, as you look at, you know, your, your major columns of, you know, people, the finances, right. the technology, uh, maybe we'll have the asteroid bucket. Uh, what are some of the most common risks that are like, I, I think, out there for let's start with, you know, the, the personnel in your organization. And then I want to move to technical because I'm always interested in that side. Sure. Well, with with personnel, you you always find um, staff retention is, is going to be on almost any nonprofit's uh, risk register at the end of the day, because uh, the the average nonprofit, especially at the senior executive level, loses uh, people other than the executive director loses people every you know nineteen months or so, and so that that will always show up. The other issue that will show up on many risk registers is the the notion of um, how do you develop personnel. When you don't have money to develop personnel, when when you're in you know this this fiscal constraint situation that so many nonprofits are uh, are in, how do you keep those people on a career path within the organization when you don't have much room for salary expansion? Mm-hmm. And where where would uh, I mean I feel like that's obviously people are probably nodding right now like obviously I want to keep the humans. Uh, where's the blind spot? Where are the unknown unknowns that you find uh, are only revealed after like some digging on the on the personnel side? Well, on the personnel side, one of the things that that is so often the case in nonprofits is that there is an assumption that because people are here to serve the mission, that therefore they are willing to sacrifice everything in order to further that mission. And that they are happy doing that on a daily basis. So often the executive director and senior management are so mission committed that they don't realize that, that their staff may have, uh, deep seated concerns about, um, the culture, about their need to work 24 seven, even though they're barely paid for eight hours a day. And, and so one of the, Fierce conversations, constructive, fierce conversations that can come out of a risk inventory process is an aha from the uh, senior management's perspective that says, well, even though we'd like to think that everyone is sitting around singing Kumbaya, there is some disgruntlement here. Yeah. Now on the IT side, right, information technology as it relates to our data I, I feel like my instinct is this is probably the most ignored vertical 
uh, of risk when it comes to organizations. But correct me if I'm wrong. And also, what are the the common ones? Sure. No, I I think you're right that that it is, um, if not the most uh, commonly ignored, it's the, it's the one that that in some ways scares nonprofits the most. They don't even want to consider their IT infrastructure because they they don't want to look under that rock. The the most common issues that that organizations face are uh, data security. You see all too often nonprofits who have uh, data releases. And uh, the other thing that that nonprofits have a, a big issue with when it comes to IT is is the notion of, well, on the one hand, we want to utilize social media. On the other hand, we worry about who should be authorized to sit at the keyboard and act on behalf of the organization. And so it often stymies the organization from having an effective social media presence because senior personnel are not tech savvy and those who are tech savvy are not authorized to speak in, in a conversant way about their organizations online. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the unknown unknowns, the blind spots of uh, the IT security data security vertical for for organizations that you found? Well, I think so many nonprofits don't take the time to actually hire a an IT organization to come in and do a basic security profile of the organization. Um, in as a result, they they don't know what they don't know. And because in general People who self-select go into the nonprofit sector are not usually also self-selecting to be tech savvy. It's not as if members of a nonprofit come with some latent ability to discern what's wrong in their IT. If anything, they come less informed than the average person. And so the unknown unknown is why not? Ask an IT security company to come and do a check on your website and uh, your email and your uh, your hardware in order to see what you might want to be worried about over the next couple of years. Awesome. I think that's helpful, and I'm sure people are like, this is the worst podcast ever. You're just scaring me about all the crap that's growing underneath <laughs> the rocks. So thanks, Ted. Real yeah, cool. Absolutely. All right, we're going to spice this up a little bit more with our pro pro versus con game. And today uh, we are going to be debating, you can choose the side, we're going to be debating whether or not it's a good idea to do a full staff uh, sort of risk assessment or iceberg spotting exercise. Which side would you like, Ted? I'll take the con on that one. Okay, I guess that puts me in firm column pro. Uh, All right, Uh, would you like to go first or second? Um, I'm willing to explain why it is that that I think a full staff risk assessment is the wrong step for an organization, if you'd like. Sounds good. And please define size of organization or if there's a threshold with regard to your con perspective. Sure. Even, even in an organization that has uh, – well, first of all, George, I, I'd say that, that – um, any organization can benefit from a risk assessment. The, the question is how many people you want involved. If you have your full staff involved in your first risk inventory, you're going to end up with so many potential crucial conversations that you may be swamped by the response. 
as a result, I think the better approach is choose your C-suite people and then have a couple of line personnel involved as well so that you get some responses from various areas and then you get some people who have had boots on the ground so that they can provide a reality check of what's really going on. Interesting, Ted, that you pick up the con side because for me, I'm a firm believer that mold grows in the dark. So ah, if yes. you don't have if you don't have a flashlight potentially under all rocks, if you don't have the perspective of your full organization, and I don't care if you are one or one thousand people, there are ways of engaging and pulling in all staff into the uh, analysis process to make sure that just the higher ups uh, aren't too tall to see what's going on below. What do you say to that? I think that's a great point. On the other hand, what what a nonprofit is doing is hopefully providing end user services. And so I think most of the attention of a nonprofit should be providing those end user services. I think that it's important to shine light, but it's more important to be actually doing the work of helping other people. The shining light can be done over time and and in a way that doesn't get people upset and gets a good inertia moving rather than all at once uh, where it might lead to so many important conversations that the organization wouldn't know what to focus on first. And in response, I think it is uh, key that we don't fall into any sort of heuristic or bias of management. For instance, as they look around their executive team, pull them into the room and realize they don't have a CTO. So therefore, guess what? No need to worry about the technology because IT is just that fella or lady in, in the corner plugging in the printer. And so in that scenario, we open ourselves up to the, the bias of management, which is in and of itself a risk tag by not going to the full staff. Totally. And there is no such thing as a risk-free process. I totally agree with you that any dividing line that you take along the way is going to make it suboptimal. Um, the, the point that I would rest on is simply – I want organizations to take that first step, and I want them to take it as easily as possible. Risk management sounds scary enough. If you start talking about full staff risk management, that sounds like a a recipe for potential disaster. Instead, let's take it one step at a time. Let's do my way, and then we can spread it out over time as part of that risk cycle so that then you get the, the added perspective. All right. Well, we'll let the public decide on that one. I think there are uh, there are good points on either side. Um, outside of our pro con game, where I'm not just uh, antagonizing you for fun, <laughs> what is that your your genuine recommendation? Like, regardless of size, like choose together a core team because too many voices it just makes an awful sound. Yeah. I, the the first step, George, that I always advise is do do your initial risk assessment with no more than about five to seven people. If you have a C-suite involving you know, that, that has four or five people in it and you get a couple of line personnel involved, that gives you plenty of different perspectives. And you'll get a list of 
120 threats and opportunities that you boil down to that core 25 or so. If you start opening it up to the full group, it just can be overwhelming. It, and, and so take it small. You can always build down from there into your staff and up from there into your board in year two or year three. All righty. I think that is a perfect segue to our rapid fire round. Uh, short responses, please, to the following questions. Are you ready, Ted? I am. Okay. What is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using the last year that is awesome sauce? Trello. I'm a big fan of personal Kanban, and Trello is the best way to implement personal Kanban. Oh, God damn it. What is a Kanban, Ted? <laughs> Where can yeah, I buy one? Is it on Amazon? No, but but there's a great book on Amazon. It's by Jim Benson and uh, Tony Ann Barry, and it's called Personal Kanban. Kanban is simply the notion of of not working on everything on your to-do list, but limiting your work to the two or three items that are most important. And then each time one of those pulls off, pulling something from your to-do list into that and still only focusing on, on three items. It's a, it's a great organizational principle for simply getting project throughput. All righty. What tech dragons do you need to slay in the coming year? Oh, boy. I would love to get a better handle on... Uh, the way that we track prospects, leads, and closes. Uh, we use active content, but I am a neophyte on active content, and so I'd like to be able to figure out um, better how to score leads and make sure that our funnel is actually working. Talk about a mistake you made earlier in your career that has shaped the way you do work. Well, the, the biggest mistake that I did, George, right at the start of Risk Alternatives is that I started it Having our offerings be, we'll do whatever you want with respect to risk management. And so we didn't standardize early. If I had the opportunity to go back there and do it again, I would say we have three offerings. They are X, Y, and Z at this price, this price, and this price. And I'm sorry, if you want something else, don't come to us because we do those things best. And in order to do those things best, we say no to the rest. Do you believe that not-for-profits can successfully go out of business? Yes. In fact, I think it's an important thing uh, for nonprofits to always think whether they should be going out of business either because they've achieved their mission, someone else is achieving their mission better than they are, and therefore they should give out those resources and, and end, or they should merge or otherwise partner with some organization in order to serve the the end users in some way that uh, individually they cannot. Okay, and what is something you think you or your organization should stop doing? I should stop saying yes to everything. <laughs> I I I like to please, and so I tend to do things even when um, when I know that I am up to my ears in crocodiles. If you had a Harry Potter type wand. That could magically change something about the nonprofit sector. What would it do? It would give all of the organizations in the nonprofit sector what I, Hilda Polanco, who works for FMA, uh, a consulting firm, calls it Luna, uh, liquid unrestricted net assets. It would be a magic tool that would allow every nonprofit to see 
what their real cash in the bank was so that then they could act to improve that over time. So many nonprofits have no idea of what their real position financially is, and therefore they're perpetually in this scarcity mentality uh, where they where they think that they have to chase revenues and uh, and instead of focusing on the business, they're focusing on chasing the revenues. Well, Ted, this has been very enlightening, if not somewhat scary. Uh, how do people find you? How do people help you? Absolutely. The easiest way to find me um, online is Twitter. I use Twitter a lot, and my Twitter handle is at tbillich. Risk Alternatives also tweets at at riskalts. And, of course, they can go to our website, which is risk-alternatives.com. Well, Ted, it's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for thanks for making it risky today, and thank you for saying yes to being interviewed. George, great questions, <laughs> great fun. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. I think this was really helpful to hear his approach to identifying risks and opportunity in in different verticals of your organization. Uh, It's much easier to plan forward. It can actually also, you know, as you think about it, decrease the the stress that comes with the unknowns or the known unknowns that that are floating out there because you've gone through this, because you said, all right, what is the worst case scenario and how would we respond? It's always easier. It's always easier to respond in advance, not in the heat of the moment, not when, you know, there's already the fire, but frankly, that you've already put fire extinguishers around the house. I know tons of metaphors, but please, um, as we come to the end of the year, uh, please consider doing your own risk assessment in some way, shape or form. There are definitely resources out there. There's resources in this uh, in this episode's show notes at wholewhale.com slash podcast. And this has been episode 81 Thanks again to Ted for joining us on this and getting us to think a bit more about our risks. This has been Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, as always, to Greg Thomas, music.org. Uh, he is a all-star, awesome at creating tunes for whatever uh, whatever the reason, occasion, or, or media. And also has thomasaudioediting.com, where he can help you put together a bit of polish and template for your uh, podcast. If you are intending to launch one, certainly check him out, thomasaudioediting.com. Uh, thanks, Greg. You rock. <laughs>